you know, there's a bit of gravitas that comes with being able to afford a billboard. The hypothesis that we had is that we saw increased conversion performance because customers were more likely to trust us at that pointy end. Yeah, so that was a complete surprise. Hey there, James here, and you're listening to the Own the Moment podcast, the show where we explore the complex and always evolving landscape of marketing, advertising, and branding, and try to get to the bottom of what it means to be a truly memorable brand. The Own the Moment podcast is brought to you by Como Technologies, a self-service, complete customer engagement platform that helps you cut through the noise to truly connect with your customers and retain and grow those connections over time. With Como, you can build and deploy new campaigns, activations, promotions, and programs in days, not months. And our software is used by some of the world's biggest consumer brands from Heineken to Budget, Goodman Fielder, Foxtel, JLL, Williams Racing, and McDonald's. Learn more at Como.tech. When the pandemic hit in early 2020, there was probably no worse business to be in than travel. But that's exactly where today's guest found himself during that very bizarre spring of 2020. Lee Barnes is the Chief Customer Officer at Intrepid Travel, a global travel and tours company born in Australia that has over the last 30 years built a very significant business, one that is fast approaching a billion dollars in annual revenue. Staring into the abyss that was not actually knowing when travel would return, Lee and his team took the COVID-era mantra of never waste a good crisis to heart and drastically shifted their marketing strategy and budget away from performance marketing and into PR, storytelling, and top-of-funnel brand building. The basic idea? Build a brand that travelers would want to engage and connect with even if they couldn't travel. A couple of years on, and the results are pretty astonishing. Branded searches and traffic are up 40%, and direct bookings, as opposed to bookings via third-party travel agents, have risen from 20 to 60%. This means Intrepid is a far more profitable business today than it was pre-pandemic when it was, in Lee's own words, addicted to the short-term hamster wheel of PPC and paid marketing. Lee is a brilliant storyteller, and this episode is packed with tons of valuable nuggets and insights that will help any consumer marketer understand how to balance long-term brand building with short-term promotions and activations. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Lee Barnes, thank you for coming on the show. James, thanks for having me, man. Hopefully it's a good yarn. Yeah. So look, I want to start by talking about this big shift that you guys at Intrepid made. I think it was about six months ago now. There was a big article in in MI3 and you talked about this shift from uh, performance to brand marketing. You talked about a punch in the face moment. But before we get to all of that, tell me a bit about your career, how you got to where you are today and how did you become such a big fan of performance marketing? Oh, good luck and good management. And I never thought saying punch in the face moment would get quoted so much. You know, you talk on these things, and <laughs> one thing gets pulled out and it's been like mentioned, but everyone at work's been like, oh, do you get punched in the face? So it's funny the things you say. So hopefully I say something suitably ridiculous in this conversation as well. But um, how, oh, how did I get where I am? Uh, as I said, a bit of good luck and a bit of good management. Um, I got into travel marketing after a massive sea change. I, I pretty much had done... Hmm. Um, was in business development for sort of call center technologies for want of a better mm. word. And it was about 27, 28, was, you know, doing a good job, getting paid well. But I was like, I really don't like this. I was clean shaven, rocking a suit. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> a bit different than what you see now. Um, Love it. And, uh, yeah, I totally reboot. I basically did uh, online courses around uh, PPC, social media, performance marketing, mm. really, and got a gig um, at Peregrine, one of Intrepid's uh, brands, about 15 mm. years ago now as search and social media coordinator. Yeah, so I was like turning on PPC for the first time, starting Facebook and Twitter accounts. So if there's any F-ups for the brand 15 years ago, it's on me. Um, <laughs> but that's where I got my chops. And then I was lucky enough at Intrepid to be given lots of opportunities to grow with, with mm. the company. Um, I moved over to Toronto about 10 years ago, maybe a bit longer. Wow. Now, um, and led the uh, America's business for Intrepid for about five years and was able to grow it from about $10 million business to $100 million business. And that was Awesome. I wonder why I come home sometime. I was able to go to like New York, Chicago, Mexico City, all that, you know, stuff. And being at the center of the marketing world was pretty awesome. And mm. um, yeah, I've come back, come back to Australia. So yeah, been very lucky and privileged and intrepid and just been given lots of different opportunities over the journey. So a bit of good luck and a bit of good management. Yeah. And, and look, for those that don't know, really quickly, what is intrepid? What do you guys do? What are you all about? Yeah, James, remiss of me not to start with the sales pitch on the company, eh, so people know what ah. I'm talking about. Um, I should always <laughs> lead with that. Uh, my boss will probably give me a, what are you doing, mate? Um, yeah, Intrepid's the world's largest provider of adventure tours. Yeah, so we'll do everything hmm. from uh, hiking Everest Base Camp, sailing Cuba, food and culture trip, uh, culture tour in mm. Vietnam. Uh, big focus on small groups. So you'll be going with normally in people, groups of 10 to 15. Uh, mm. Big focus on experiences. You know, you'll go, you'll meet the local people, eat the food, drink the drink, dance the dance, and we mm. try and do that as sustainably as possible. Um, mm. We're not always going to be able to have a positive impact, but we do everything we can to me- mitigate our negative. Um, and we're Australian-owned and operated company. Um, started 35 years ago. Um, wow. Still majority owned by the founders, um, our staff, and then also a um, – French investment firm as well. Um, mm. And, yeah, we're, we're coming out of COVID now, kicking and screaming and, and right back on, on track after a pretty brutal couple of years. Um, yeah. Yeah, so let, let's talk about COVID because, I, you know, I assume for you guys that was literally like the hell freezing over moment. Um, and, you know, a lot of um, what you guys did with this campaign, which I want to dig into today, Travel is Back for Good, yeah. um, was sort of shift your strategy from performance to brand. But talk about COVID. What was that like, you know, internally? I can only imagine. But Yeah, what? it was like, I don't know, I used the term punch in the face. It was probably more of a like a mental depression. It was, it was so brutal. You right. know, we, we went from... Uh, biggest month ever in January um, as a business wow. to basically shutting operations two weeks later. Um, I remember I was in Toronto and my boss effectively calling me and my wife being like, uh, they're two different people, by the way, uh, calling me <laughs> yeah. and being like, I think you need to get the hell home really, really quickly. And wow. you know, I got home and a week later um, we are sitting around the, the our um, CEO, James Thornton's uh, office, uh, kitchen desk, kitchen table, mm. making the decision to, decision to halt uh, operations. It was actually wow. the night of my engagement party too. Like I was like in the oh middle of this getting, getting ready to go. <laughs> oh. And it was brutal. We had to get, you know, thousands of customers home safe. We had to refund millions of dollars back to, to people. We had to wow. um, reduce the workforce absolutely drastically. Um, mm. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I remember spending oh. a day basically, you know, making people – redundant I, I really had blacked it out i just went home and slept and probably still can't rem- 
still 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 really tough and, and raw and it was hard we spent two years before we were able to get cash positive again we had to go out and get investment to keep the, the company moving in the right direction um but Jesus. on the positive side i know there's you know never waste a crisis was probably one of the most used terms yeah precedent and all that sort of stuff right but, you know one of the things that i speak about this was part of that marketing punch in the face is like your traffic just vanishes yeah, because we weren't spending money on performance marketing anymore. Um, so, like, overnight, you're like, why are people interested in Intrepid? And it's because hmm. of the brand. You know, all the, if you took away our people, you took away the trips, we weren't be able to operate trips. Why were people still interested? And it was because we'd built a brand over 35 years that stood for something that was going to say things that was going to move in a certain direction. And that's why people were still coming to engage with us. And that was probably like an aha moment where we were like, mm. you know, all of our traffic just plummeted. It was mainly organic. So people knowing, looking, engaging in what we were doing already. And that's sort of one of those moments where we were like, you know, bloody hell, we need to make sure that we are continuing to do the right stuff. And, and we use that as a lightning moment, you know, rebrand the business, double down on great stories and entertainment for our customers, really, you know, continue the great purpose work we do around sustainability. So yeah, it was horrible. It was tough. But it also shone a light on the direction we needed to move forward um, with the business. Yeah, that's really interesting. Just before we dig into uh, Travelers Back and all of that rebranding, uh, you know, how long did you guys stop trips for? Oh, I mean, well, yeah, I think off the top of my head now is about two to three months that trips completely stopped. But then if you remember, mm. different parts of the world started to open up. Like the right. USA continued to operate and you could still travel. But to be honest, we were going from running, you know, thousands of departures to like a couple. Wow. So so we were still running trips largely for American customers because they were able to travel. But, you know, we, um, you know, go to normally 120 different countries. We've, you know, 3,000 different itineraries, um, you know, hundreds wow. of thousands of customers each year. That was down to like a couple of trips, you know, completely different we haven't got back to we didn't get back to those volumes of operation until uh well earlier this year wow and so prior to um the pandemic tell me like what was the the marketing i mean you know i assume very performance driven but tell me you know was it was it sort of um you know ads ppc you know tell me what what was sort of the bread and butter of the marketing department prior to the pandemic the bread and butter was ppc in industry Yes, right. industry being OTAs and travel agents mm. and PPC right. being uh, the shelf of the internet, the shopping shelf of the <laughs> internet. You know, it was probably at various points somewhere around 80% of our budget was going to, to the PPC. Um, wow. We did do a lot of PR. We've always been quite a rich storytelling business because mm. you know, we do a lot of amazing trips. You know, people want to learn about, you know, women's only expeditions. They want to understand like, mm. how they can be more sustainable. So we've always done a lot of PR, um, but so much of our marketing spend was traditionally through travel agents um, and through PPC. And a lot of that then was performative, not performative, performance-driven insofar as campaigns. You know, X amount off right. this trip, this destination is the time to go, you know, really to in the way when we did do brand Randy stuff, it was more destination-led. You know, now's the time to go to Peru. Now's the time to go right. to Peru. So it was always um, probably campaign performance-driven activation as opposed to this is Intrepid, this is our story, this is what we stand for, and trying to build those mental associations so, you know, people will remember us, they have a good emotion, and they go shop for us. They were basically just coming in at the end of the funnel, walking into a travel agent or going onto the internet and typing Peru and, you know, or going to the agent saying Peru tours. So that was pretty much the make, the makeup of it. Um, 
about mm. 2019 leading into the pandemic. Yeah, and I guess, like, you know, I mean, I, I must admit, I was just looking at the revenue numbers for Intrepid, I, like, you know, I mean, it's, you know, the last number you threw out was, you know, $370 million last year and you're pro- projecting a lot more this year and aiming towards $1 billion by, I think, 2025 or 2026. So it's a... It's a yeah, uh, it, was probably, it was probably one being before the pandemic to 25, 26. We'll probably get there about about 20, 29 now, just for mm, those, that couple mm. year gap. But, yeah, we're, we're on track for about – It's know, a huge business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think for an Aussie business too, it's like we're, we're quite global. You know, we have offices right. in 40 locations around the world. We um, sell out of uh, the UK and US markets. You know, America will probably be our largest source market in the next couple of years. It'll overtake mm. Australia, which has been traditionally. So – yeah, we're, we're um, growing and growing fast, uh, and, and putting up some you know big numbers, which is which is great. It's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. And what I want to get at is like, I mean, performance was clearly working for you, right? You know, it's eighty percent of the budget, but the business is huge. It's growing. Tell me, was it really just COVID that was that moment for you when you know traffic obviously dropped? Um, you didn't have that sort of bottom of the funnel intent. Was that the sort of the turning point for you guys where you realized we have to do something else? Was this shift to brand marketing? We're going to dig into that campaign, I promise. But was that really just that COVID moment or? Oh, look, and look, it's probably more interesting than the campaign anyway, James. So so feel free to talk about as long as you want. There's probably more interesting stuff in in here. It it was, we'd been discussing it before, before mm. arguing it, like we knew we should have been doing it, but it always came back, you know, you're right. in, the, in the leadership room and you're like, but we've got to hit this month's target, you know, and yes. we'd always be like, but we know we should be getting more people to know about Intrepid. Like fundamentally, you know that as a human, you know, if you get invited to a party from someone you don't know compared to someone you do know, you're more likely to go to the party from someone you do know. Like it just uh, makes sense, right? Yeah. But sometimes you are going to go to the party of the person you don't know because you've got nothing to do on a Saturday night. So right. you, just, you know you know that you logically have to get more people to know you, but you also know that you'll pick up people that don't know you because they just have a necessity and need they want to go to X place. So there was always those debates and we'd always wanted to do it. Like we'd put off our rebrand about three times and I'd had I'd been involved in various iterations of that for about five years beforehand and it was always that thing wow. when times got tough, got dropped. Yeah. It wasn't, yep. wasn't, you know, prioritizing. We're always having those conversations. So, yeah, it was that punch in the foe. Mm. The pandemic made it more real, but let's not say it was like overnight, yeah? And there was lots of conversations, right. lots of debate. I've sort of in my mind told myself that that was the line in the sand. It was probably the line in the sand that gave me the stick to be able to go, yes, we should do it and give us the space to go make it happen. But I'm not pretending. We argued about this all the time. Um, yep. And it wasn't a linear, it was like, it's going to happen, it's not going to happen, we're going to change the spend, we're not, we're going to do these things. But COVID gave us the clear runway to make it happen. The other thing I'd say too, and I think you've noted, we're already performing well. What are the things right. that are coming through now is we're more profitable, we'll be more profitable this year, so profit will be, be up by being That's one of the leaders. And the other thing is we've got more direct business. So more customers are booking with us direct than they did previously. So we're about... Uh, 50% up this year on direct revenue compared to 2019. And overall, what does that mean? In about 2019, we're about 70% industry, 30% direct. So customers We're now about 60% direct, 65% direct, 35, 40% industry. We'll see where that gets to at the end of the year. So the numbers and where we're moving are still great, but the performance of the direct business and our profitability um, are outstretching what they did previously. 
Yeah, and I mean, I just recently reread the long and short of it. I mean, it's that's the sort of the exact idea, right? Is you know how do you sort of build that mental awareness, mental availability? And it sounds like it sounds like you guys were stuck in something that comes up or like over and over again, which is you get stuck in that short term short term loop of performance, which is as you say, it's a very measurable, repeatable system for hitting yep. budget, right? Um, and you know to sort of to jump off that cliff and convince your boss that like we're going to go make a $2 million TV ad. We don't know what it's going to give us. I mean, that's a fucking scary thing totally. to do for a marketer, right? Yeah, and we're still, and it's still not perfect. You know, we've got CyberSale coming up, and that's an important driver for our business. You know, and we still have to get everything right from a performance point of view to make sure that drives because there's customers out there. And mm. we still have some of those challenges. It's not always perfect. I think too many times, like these articles and stuff get written, you're either perfect to brand, you're perfect to performance. Yeah, yeah. It's messy. Sometimes you've got to go all out to get the available fish that are in the ocean and you've got to do all the performance stuff. You've got to catch them. Yep. You've got to be available. People have to make it easy to book. You've got to do that stuff. It's not saying that you don't. And sure. then you've also got to drive more in. And it's always messy. There's always tension coming back and forth. Um, and I think quite often it's sold. It's like I came in and solved it from a brand point of view or oh, I got the performance to, to do X, you know. Um, and it swaps because so many CMOs come in and change. You know, you come in with a creative brand, um, you know, uh, remit or you come in on a performance remit and you might smash your performance because the last CMO did all the brand stuff and all you're doing right. is capturing it. So it's, it's always messy and goes back and forth in these interesting ways. But, you know, fundamentally, the thing now the business, I used to have to argue for it. Now the business comes and demands it, which creates its own wow. set of problems and wanting all these, you know, more assets, more words written, more design. Um, Fascinating. But then we also have, you know, if our competitors set and these other, you know, industries dropping their prices, we also need to play in that game. So it's it's there is always tension between striving forward long-term, but you've got to make sure you pay the bills today. And I think that has to be, you know, forefront. You can't just do all this cool stuff and it's not delivering, um, delivering, you know, today and into the future. Yeah. Do you think? Um, uh, it, it, do you sense that it's a trend in marketing? I know that, like, just in research for this, Airbnb went out. I think maybe it was during the pandemic. We, you know, a sim- similar sort of story, right? Like, we're going all in on brand, all in, all in on storytelling. Is it something that you're sensing across marketing more generally? Um, do you think we're sort of entering a new era where maybe brand is sort of getting more of its Jews or yeah I think so I think we're getting a rebalancing like you know that right yeah you've got to spend on performance but it's not the whole shop you've still got to entertain you've still got to help people remember you like life's full on and busy you know and oh yeah. how the hell do you get your brand in there that makes people remember or give a crap about who the hell you are so I think there's probably been that realization and I think what we've seen to the proliferation of direct to consumer brands running off that social media PPC right it, I just I think the cost of that is going to be too much I think you're able to get those leads very cheap um, and I think you'll see now um, just a balancing of brands getting it right and you can see you know, we probably move in similar like reading circles online and, and whatnot, but you just see a proliferation now of Bennett, Ritson, and yep. Um, yep. Sharp um, yep. that wasn't there five years ago. Probably wasn't even too – I reckon during the – some point in the pandemic, I feel like there was a switch. Right. Maybe I feel like something changed, but these guys have been writing stuff for, you know, 15 oh. years, um, uh, but some of it was maybe put off as snake charmer or snake oil salesman early on, and now right. it's like – 
I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's everywhere. Maybe I'm just moving in different circles, but you know, the Tourism Australia campaign that recently, you know, yes. when it launched around the, the the kangaroo and all that sort of stuff, it's flying. You know, visitors to Australia up, I think twenty percent. The latest report, and Ritson just did an article on with Susan um, speaking about that. And and I, I don't know, like, and they used a lot of those principles from from those people that we've just mentioned. So I think there's a mm. rebalancing, but I also think that maybe not those entrepreneur direct. Right. Uh, like uh, some of the what's Garvey sort of guys that were like out there doing all this before, like that. That's sort yep. of slowed down and it's the principles of marketing. Show up all the right, do all the right things over and over again. Do the right thing. You know, know who your customer is. Be entertaining. Uh, make mm. it easy for customers to book. All of that's come back into vogue, um, which I think is what we – I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the four Ps, right? Like <laughs> the stuff we all learned in school. I mean, it's all – all still relevant. It's funny you say that about um, uh, brand, sort of brand coming into vogue, because I think one thing I'm sensing is that definitely brand is coming into vogue. But you said something um, on another podcast, which was like brand marketing still needs to show measurable results, right? Like I don't know if you followed John James on um, LinkedIn. He's like this controversial marketing thinker in Australia, yeah. um, and he's great because he said like so many marketers they just do brand because it feels like less scrutinized. It's sort of like mm. it's less measurable. You can always push it away as like you know it, we're building awareness. Um, what's your take on all of that? How do you do brand, but at the same time be very much you know, open to scrutiny and performance and ROI. Because I guess in some sense I feel they're a little bit different or like I guess maybe historically brand has felt more or less connected to performance. Yeah, well, I, um, it's, yeah I have an interesting take I reckon performance gets away with it because it is measurable, right? Because right. performance get because you can measure it, it's like, oh, it's working. Is it working because you right. spent more or is it working because it actually works? Right, That's and I have find this, you know, because it does, you can attribute it. It gets to hide behind these last click attributions. Like, it hides right. behind the fact that it's measurable. Um, I find we have hmm. to. I have to champ. Originally, once once we started on the journey, we had to, I had to do a lot more work to get people to believe around the brand stuff. Mm. But you also have to put in um, rail guard metrics to show that you're doing the right thing. So, you know, right. with a lot of our above-the-line buys and advertising or, you know, uh, what we've done, you'll see is hopefully around Melbourne and Sydney in the moment with out-of-home mm. billboards, newspaper, et cetera, is we want to see increase in organic branded search terms from those yep. areas, right? Yep. Simple. So we know that we want to have a certain amount of reach leading into our biggest sales periods to give us confidence to know we've got enough customers to, to, to hit those revenue mm. numbers. So mm. there is key brand things that you want to see. The other thing that happens when you do brand is your performance works better. Now, if you are, if you right. don't, if you don't take that into consideration, your performance team's going, I'm doing a great job, but reality is it could have been the PR article. It could have been the speech their CEO did on, um, you know, at a big, big event. It could be the ad that someone walked past in the street. There's all of these other things that then performance marketing doesn't attribute and hides behind, but it goes, we've got the last click. So I think it gets an easier ride. I think hmm. it hides behind the deluge of numbers. And this is from someone I, I started, sure. as I said, that was my, my bread and butter. And I was a bit naive to the world. I'd be like, just give me more money and I'll get more sales. But, hmm. you know, if your brand's not known, you know, when two, if you're not trusted, people don't know you. When they go to look for the product, sure, they'll look at you and you'll but you'll be just down yep. to price. And if they don't know you, they're not going to trust. And holiday is a big thing. And humans are rational. And if they have some level of, I know this brand and feel trustworthy, they're more likely to purchase. So, yeah, I think that 
they they both can hide behind the numbers, but you've both got to you've got to be able to tell a story to your mm. leadership, your people, and you've got to be able to show how how it works. You know, where we've seen for us, it's been increase of traffic and bookings from the areas we're doing it. It's enabled us to highlight the products mm. that we do want to sell. We're seeing profitability come through, so that's one of those metrics that yep. I'll be talking about. I'm also seeing more people do word of mouth, so more people talking about us and also to making the brand physical. One of the big challenges that we have is it's almost like a ghost brand. You right. know, you don't see, no one's wearing Intrepid. Yeah, it's not a pair of shoes. It's not a speakers. It's a trip. And, you know, so much of marketing is that brand experience that I can see the thing. So we've been doing a lot of work to show that we are physically available. Mm. Like the branding on trip now is a lot more present. We are out in a lot of places to show the red and the intrepid so people can see us and build those memory hmm. structures where we weren't doing that before. You know, oh. you can only find us at a travel agent or on the website. Yeah, so how you ask, how is someone going to remember that? So, um, yeah, and it's it's hmm. not linear. There's all these messy parts of it that go into to, to making it. And also I think that one of the cool things we're seeing is marketers that know their shit, hmm. right, and there's a bit of gut feel in this, uh, being proven yeah. and you know which what you should, you know what's right. Yeah, you're a professional. You know, like in – like in so many other businesses you, or, or professions, right. if you've been doing it for a while, people trust your opinion. Yeah. Um, we've gotten to this point five years ago that if somebody else was, could show you the numbers, you can get a number to tell you any story. You will get, they were getting outranked. But now there's like fundamentally, mm. no, you, people need to know who you are to purchase. Like it just, it, you know, that consciously makes sense. But at some point we were believing the point, oh, it's fine. As long as they can find you on the internet, you're going to be okay. Right. Yeah, and it's like you say, it's all, it's this sort of false economy, um, I think, which is which is really interesting. So I want to go back, Lee, to the the, the big brand campaign post COVID, um, which was called "Travel is yeah. Back for Good." Um, you talked about these three bits, which I wrote down. You know, rebranding the business, doubling down on stories, and then leaning into that purpose piece. Talk to me a bit about what's the where did the insight come for "Travel is Back"? Talk me through some of the. Uh, like elements of the story and, uh, you know, obviously we'll get onto results, but I'm, I'm curious as to sort of the, the starting point. Where did it come from? Um, how was that process? What's the insight? Yeah. Um, so we worked with an agency, South by Southwest, a uh, bunch of a team based in Fitzroy in Melbourne. Um, mm. And we probably had this in the can about six months before it came out because it was in that horrible, not horrible time. It was the, where it was, it's opening, it's not opening, it's opening. Oh, it's not, oh God. <laughs> and, and we were at the point where we were probably more than a lot of our competitors out there talking and still being an active business. We hadn't completely shut down. We kept people right. on. We were trying to show. And what we were trying to say is the point was travel is back. It's back, like good, but also travel should be back better. Like yeah. you should have used this time to make it more sustainable, more inclusive, doing more of the right things. And it came from the idea that at that point everything was so negative about travel, about the world, and right. we wanted to jump the wave and get out first to say it's back and it's back for good, both in the literal sense, like it's for good, it's coming back and it's going to be good. And also, yep. too, we didn't want to make it just about us. It's like travel. Like we're out there saying travel's back. So to make it bigger right. than just that, you know, because we needed a healthy sector. You know, we don't operate in a silo. We needed travel to be back as a company for mm. us to grow and succeed. And so we wanted to have something that also was like, not just us, like to saying if we were advertising and putting that big billboard out, the travel's back. So customers and people would be, oh, yeah, I can go travel. It doesn't have to be even Trevor, but, you know, I can go to that right. place, do this. So that was like some of the insights into it. Yeah, um, it's clever. 
And the hard thing was getting the timing right. Because I remember with our head of a GM of brand, Nat Placco, and the agency, we were like, and I can be sometimes a little bit too um, gung-ho. I was like, mm. no, nah, we're just going to go for it. And then um, what was it? Coke Delta? No, what was Christmas? Remember when it, we got the, one of the strands came back? Like we were sort of opening up and then around Christmas time, maybe 2021. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So I can't remember the years. COVID yeah, is it was Omicron or Delta. I can't remember Omicron, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I was sort of like, I oh, will be okay. And then all of a sudden it was like, this is not okay and everything came mm. off the table. So, yeah, we, we had to press pause and, and, and stop it then. And then we we rolled it out market by market. So the UK was, mm. was able to opening, so we were able to go there, the US and Canada, and then finally Australia. So we were able to go out with that with that messaging. So that was the, the nuggets, the insights. And then um, – yeah, almost burnt my fingers a couple of times going too early. I don't. I think it would have been okay because it would have been an opportunity to talk, but it, it just wouldn't have made sense. I think at, at that time. Yeah, and I've gone and watched. Um, I've only, I've seen the thirty second uh, version that you have on YouTube. But tell me, what were the sort of what were the formats, the the mediums, the channels? Was this a big TV thing? Was it sort of online? What what was the sort of campaign built on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the well. It's different by market. So we have, as I said, the three key markets, US or North America, UK and Australia. Largely, um, probably the biggest investment was out of home. Um, mm. We saw an opportunity both from price at that point of time, but also um, big, rich medium to show beautiful imagery uh, of right. our trips and to have that message and also to go broader. We were wanting to go broader with the message because it was about travel and not just about intrepid. So a big mm. chunk of the activation was around uh, out of home um, placements. Um, we also then backed that up with um, a range of uh, digital video placements, um, showing those videos. We did radio, mm. podcast. Uh, we moved eventually. It sort of evolved in the iterations into cinema um, oh, and, wow. and uh, across the board into print. Uh, but a large part of it was really focused at, at out of home, um, and that was the, the big medium because we were able to get a big, huge image and have that message. We, what are we trying to show is like rich experiences, yeah, like uniqueness, distinction from like we are sort of pushing away from the standard holiday that, you know, we want to show people engaging with local interactions um, because I think too often travel advertising is very generic and we probably fall into trap um, – it's the destination, you know, picture of Machu Picchu logo. So we're really trying to get more experiences, people connecting and engaging. But, you know, I think because travel is so cool, people just resonate to what looks good anyway. So imagery oh, really moves. Yeah, that's fa- that's fascinating. That's really interesting. Um, and so so in terms of travel is back for good, let's talk some of the results. I know, um, you know, uh, you, you've talked about, um, you know, huge increases in branded search volumes and traffic and bookings, and we've obviously talked about profitability. Was there anything that surprised you? Was there anything that didn't work in any sort of? Yeah, yeah, yeah def- definitely. I think so I'll talk with what worked and then what didn't work. So one of the surprising things, James, that we saw was an increase in digital conversion. And this is when I talk about the performance branding affecting each other. We saw that in the markets we did branding, conversion increased. Wow. And we didn't expect that to happen. But what we think happened, and again, we tried to, to prove this, was because they'd seen us and – we, you know, there's a bit of gravitas that comes with being able to afford a billboard and right. that they trust that they can do it. So the hypothesis that we had is that we saw increased conversion performance because customers were more likely to trust us at that pointy end. Yeah. So mm. that was a complete surprise. I did not expect, it wasn't any of my KPIs. I was like, just 
happens, very, very happy for that to, to occur. And we see that now whenever we do branding mm. is that um, we see a jumping conversion in those key markets where it's done. So that's straight away. That's not even a future thing. That's like a straight away thing. So it was super surprising. Wow. One of the F-ups was um, uh, the where we did it. Yeah, so we've probably learned that for some of these activations, we have to go into markets where there is a propensity of – it makes so much sense when I say it out loud. I feel like an idiot. But a propensity <laughs> to be more customers that will travel on our trips, yeah? And it goes back to just basic customer targeting. But we went into the UK, largely did London. You know, London's the fastest way to get to a million people in the world, yeah? Like you go there – Sort of like New York, you can make it anywhere, yeah. But London, even right. more, like hyper, you can get great advertising, get heaps of market. There's everyone there. Mm. We moved into, tried to get to uh, Liverpool, Manchester, Glasgow. Mm. Didn't resonate in the same way it did in London. That's interesting, yeah, because there isn't the same amount of people, and we didn't see the same performance. Look, in the future, yes, once we continue to grow in a different sure. stage, but we jumped the gun and we didn't, we didn't get that right. The other thing too that I'm more and more learning and we're seeing is we need to stand out more. Yes, again, like so many of travel is very similar Mm. um, and we're continuing to do that. How do we make our brand stick in people's mind? How do we get them to remember us, have a good emotion and think about us? So the ongoing thing and the challenge I've set to the team and everyone is how do we stand out more Mm. and how do we entertain more because – I think over the long run, you know, if other brands see us, they can copy us. They can go buy that ad, go do that. And, you know, it's going there, – there's, you know, other companies that do um, Vietnam tours. There's other companies that yep. do Morocco. So that learning is continuing to drum home to me is how do we stand out? Yeah, that's fascinating because, I, mean, that, I mean, the name of this show, right, Own the Moment, how do you sort of own that moment of attention that you are given from a customer and how do you not squander it? Is there anything you can share there? I understand if, if there's sort of nothing there, but what sorts of things are you thinking about in terms of standing out? Is it, is it types of content? Is it messaging? Is it storytelling? Is it assets? What, what, what are ways that you guys are exploring standing out? Because I agree that's the big, the big challenge is how to, how to not be too generic and how to be distinctive. Yeah, look, I think I'll talk – one, I'll talk about a way we stood out in the past and one where we'll stand out in the future. Mm. We're massively focused on our customer care. Yeah, and this is probably not a standing out from an advertising point of view. Sure. But if you went to third-party review sites, a lot of our sector probably got smashed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not being that and customer focus. We have – Try, we're endeavoring to stand out and making it as easy as possible for customers to book, engage, interact mm. with Intrepid. Mm. So if they have a problem that we deal with it as soon as possible. Don't get that perfect, but we're trying to stand out. And you'll see now in a lot of third-party sites that we are high of there from that point of view. So mm. in an area where we all do the same thing, yeah, where there's a similarity, you know, there's – we're trying to stand out from a customer care point of view. Makes total um, sense. That's looking back, and we've made that big change. You know, during COVID, we found wanting there. I think mm. we got smashed initially. We weren't able to give our customers what they needed fast enough. But since then, we've now been able to to do that. And why that's been so strong for us is. I speak to customers, I make phone calls and I have conversations with customers every other week. Mm. And the thing that I found that this doesn't, again, this is where the performance marketing brand thing doesn't show up, mm. is customers said that, and they would, this would never show up in tracking, they said they go to third-party review sites and social media to check that you're real. So it's not that you have the best star rating, it's that you're real and that 100%. you fix shit when it goes wrong. Yeah, and it was like not even – I don't even – the guy, one of them says, 
I did not follow you on Instagram. I did not care about you on Instagram, but I checked that you were real. That was in line with what I thought it would be. And if customers had complained that that you fixed those complaints and it was like, whoa, like, and that was every 10 customers, eight people use it that way. Yeah. Well, I just like an anecdote from me. I had two flights booked in March of 2020, both via online um, travel agents, you know, went to go and um, what, what happened there? Uh, Went to go and get a (laughs) refund shut up shop, you know, it's like it, yeah. it was obviously some very sort of temporary shell online agent and, you know, they just didn't pick up the phone and didn't reply to emails and those are gone. So I, I, I think yeah. that that makes a lot of sense is like actually the value of just being real and being a brand mm-hmm. that, like you say, maybe they don't care about the content and the story, but being able to actually just go and say this is a company with real people, with an office, with a phone number, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and little things like we'll find, you know, one-star reviews and just reach out to people. You know, yeah. Hey, that's not good enough. And, and even if they may never become a, a five-star, that's fine. But at least in the future, customers will say, well, at least this company owns when it F's up and is happy to listen and work with it. 100%. You're not going to make everyone happy all the time, but you've got to be able to, you know, show, I think, and especially for us as we're growing and not everyone, we don't have a physical thing. You know, it's on the, you know, there's not always a physical thing. You've got to create those trust mm. moments. So that's been really good. I think from a future-looking point of view, I think, um, yeah, don't know. I, I, yeah, probably too early to say, but it's the, it's the agenda I'm pushing. You know, we, One of the big things is doing for us is more of the right things more often, just relentlessly doing that, No, mm. not too many shiny things, not shopping listing, you know, more <laughs> of the right thing after. Know your customer, get more customers to know you, make it easier to book, entertain, give them, you know, the basics, like just as – you know, those people we mentioned before, mm. but I think we need to stand out more in a pretty crowded space because, you know, there's heaps of travel companies yeah. um, and everyone has different experiences. Like, as I said, Vietnam, a lot of people we advertising and talking about Vietnam, but we do it very differently. How mm. do I get that to stand out? Yeah. And how do we get people to want to do that? Because um, that I think is our big opportunity. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Lee, I could uh, chat all day with you about this stuff. It's so interesting, but I want to let you get back to all of that work. So I want to move on to the quick fire round. Um, and I want to start with a maybe a tricky question. Your favourite marketing campaign from any brand of all time? Um, yeah, um, I've been thinking about this one. You may laugh and I don't know who uh, if everyone will remember this, but mine is Smith Chips, the Gobblegock. Yeah, I definitely remember you know, that. This yeah. gobble, sort of one side and be like, ah, chippies, and he'd run yeah. into parties. And me and my sisters would just like – Run around the house being like chippies, yeah. And I still remember, to, and I still love crinkle cut chips because of that. Like mm. twenty years ago, and it was ridiculous, yeah. But it was like a, it's like talks all those things. It was like a, a physical asset, like this monster that was attached to the chip. It was ridiculous, yeah. And it was funny because it was entertaining. This this little chippy monster would run up at a party and steal Smiths. Was it Smiths or was maybe it was Sandboy back then? Um, but like the, the the come and steal the chips and. Salt and vinegar crinkle cut Smiths because of the gobblegock are still my favorite. And I'm like, what, almost 40? And that was from when I was like seven or eight years of age. Yeah. Well, it's funny. My last job, that was actually like a custom Slack emoji that we had in the, oh, in really? the, co- the yeah, ones, yeah, yeah, in the company Slack. And um, it's funny. I had Orlando Wood on the podcast a few months ago and he wrote this great book, um, uh, yeah. Lemon, uh, all about left and right brain. And, you know, his whole yeah. argument is that right in the 
golden age of advertising, the 80s and the 90s. I mean, you can, I can, I don't know about you, but I'm sure we could throw 20 examples of classic, yeah. whether it's, you know, Slippery Little Sucker, 131332, yeah. uh, Not Happy Jan. Yeah, like um, Ma the Reigns of Karma or whatever. Like, yeah. like we were much better at that as an industry before and now we're in this very sort of, yeah, different era where distinctive assets are, you know, and maybe we're at a turning point, but at least the last 10 years very, very sort of, it's funny because like the gobble, like it, it, that almost would seem daggy if you did that today. Like it seems retro and weird, but it's funny how. I, I reckon mean, it would work. I reckon, well, it, I reckon it would work because it would be so different and have a little retroness. Nostalgia works, you know? Absolutely. And I think like even if you think over the last 10 years where, yeah, like this um, uh, right brains, like logical, analytical thinking has taken over advertising. You know, there are still brands that do. I mean, I had um, Jamie Pete from Audi on the show talking about, you know, Kevin the Carrot. They've got a little, and yeah, even yeah. Um, even with Susan and um, come and say good day. You know, it's a CGI kangaroo, and like you said, everyone yeah. laughed at it, but it worked because you know those distinctive assets, those you know uh, physical things, leaning into nostalgia and humor i mean i think all the time about just the beer ads from the 90s in australia i mean they're just classic they're like seared into my memory um you know i couldn't even drink beer then but you know they're just they were so memorable they were so memorable they were doing their job then weren't they that's part of the the uh the evil and those some of those beer ads. well well, yeah yeah no maybe there's a moral and ethical side there but no look i think that that makes a lot of It'd sense. Being ten and being like singing the VB ads, like come yeah. on, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, they've done well, obviously. Um, yeah. What about the um, Lee? What's the best brand in the world right now? And I'll just, I, you know, preface that by saying, you know, m- maybe best slash your favorite. Yeah, I know because you like. Does everyone sort of say quite often like Patagonia, Nike? Yeah, that a- sort of- Apple, Apple, Nike, Patagonia. So g- give us something that maybe is less obvious if you can, if one pops into your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got. I've got a. Um, I'm a big beer fan, um, as you can see from the the picture behind me, which is a Toronto brewery, which is mm. Bellwoods Brewery. But my favourite, and I think the coolest beer company is not a beer company, but it is a beer company. It's Heaps Normal. Yeah. Um, and yes. they do non-alcoholic yeah. beer. And from not being a category what, three years ago to now taking heaps of shelf space at some of the, you know, biggest beer, co- you know, retailers, amazing job. And Insane. I think they're almost at the point that, like, Keep Cup defined – that sector, Heaps Normal is like the leader, I think, in Australia from a non-alcoholic uh, beverage point of view. I think their branding's super sharp. I think all the marketing they do Brilliant. is um, right aligned with their brand and the way that they've also, too, taken on board um, the cause and the positive change they want to make in the world and advocate to normalise, yep. you know, having a good time without alcohol is brilliant. Mm. And I think the way that they've championed that um, has been amazing. And and it's gone from like not being a staple in mine and my friends' fridges to now that brand from nowhere being on most of my friends' um, fridges. And if it's not them, it's somebody else, but it's probably because of heaps normal that they're now drinking those other beers. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I've got so much to say about. I think even the details with Heaps Normal. I think the name is just genius. It's normal. Um, I love the tagline "Too good to be wasted." Like it's just yeah. absolutely brilliant. Um, and I get the Aussiness with the heaps. Yes, the heaps, like the like the, yeah, it's distinctive. <laughs> and and you know, I'll, I'll tell you right now, my fridge is full of the Heaps Normal um, Hazy Day XPAs, and it's fascinating. We were talking at just at work the other day about five years ago, like. 
I'm not going to say you would have been ostracized for drinking non-alcoholic beer, but it definitely no, wasn't. Close. It definitely wasn't in the culture. If you went on a Friday with work colleagues and said no thanks, you know, like there'd be banter and. But I actually, and maybe in some circles there still are, but at least in mine, there just aren't anymore. It's completely normal, um, and it's yeah. come from nowhere. I, I agree, and I think you know there are now a lot of other great brands you know i actually i bought last week tinnies i don't know if you've tried tinnies yet yeah that one's delicious yeah That's, but and the other one's like our office has like half the fridge is um oh is it the better beer what's that yeah the, yes the creative guys yeah they the, 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 yeah they sponsor um they sponsor one of my favorite actually dad podcasts um which I'll, yeah. I'll send you the link. Yeah, no, so that's that's a great one, Lee. I think, you know, Heaps Normal's a, a really, really good shout. Um, all right, what about the most overrated trend in marketing right now? What are you sick of? Oh, there's two that I would say are supposed to be short round, isn't it? Well, one is uh, purpose marketing or sustainability when you don't actually do the chops. You know, like if your business isn't in that space, don't talk about it. Don't, right. don't, don't go, you know, posting about stuff just to get your brand out there mm. on social media. If you've got a skin in the game and it's important to you, 100% advocate like crazy for the change you want to see in the world. But if you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do from like your brand point of view, but your brand doesn't have any skin in the game, just just a waste of time. Yeah. You know, if it does and it's got to go out and champion it. And then the other one that I hate is just shopping list marketing where people mm. do absolutely every single thing in marketing. So I'm going to do PPC, social, events, um, brand, everything. Mm. Just waste of money. You've got to have a strategy and you just see lots of brands like just or marketers um, doing everything, like shopping lists, everything, rather than just picking the couple of key things that are going to actually stick to your strategy and make a change. So, yeah, yeah purpose where there's no purpose and um, marketing <laughs> where it's just doing everything in the in lieu of good strategy. Yeah, no, I like that. Those, I think those are two really, really good ones. What about the opposite? What about the most underrated trend? What's what's still underrated or not talked about by enough marketers? Uh, I think the trend that we start on, but like doing the right thing over and over and over and over mm. and over again mm. is so underrated. Like hmm. I don't know, finance do, audits, they do accounts, they do it over and over and over again. Right. Marketing too often is like, no, chase the new show. I think, no, it's like relentless. Huh. What does your brand stand for? Show up, get more people, get make it easy for customers to book. Do the right thing over and over and over and over again mm. is so important. But you don't see – like we have a problem that so many CMOs last one or two years. Yes. Right? So it makes it virtually impossible. And they come in with a shiny agenda and they're basically told to break shit and do something shiny and then either it works and it probably wasn't because then was the previous CMO or they get kicked out the door. And it just creates horrific habits, lack of company knowledge. Mm. So, yeah, for me, the, it's doing the right stuff over and over again. And understanding that, you know, you, you wouldn't get your CFO or your chief operator or someone in supply chains to go break everything. Right. You know, throw it out the window. It's ridiculous. It, but it for is. some reason it's – it's respect expected of us. Yeah, it's it's so true. It's like there's I saw a meme the other day, and it's like um, you know the first thing the CMO comes in, it's like you know change the logo, redo the website, make a brand video. Yeah. It's like you know, and then get fired two years later because you didn't actually yeah. give anything the time to work. Yeah, I mean, you'd be a brave man taking on a CMO role today. I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, last question, Lee. Who should I have on the show next? Who 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 do you love in marketing that you know I should be exploring these themes with 
Well, selfishly, I'd love uh, one of the founders, I think Andy Miller from Heaps Normal. Yes. Uh, I don't know him, but I follow him on social media. Um, if you shout. get one of those guys to tell their story, I would love to listen to that. A, because they've started a category. Well, not started, they're at the bleeding edge of a category. Yeah. And they do a lot of stuff right, and I'd just love to hear that story. And being a beerhead myself, I um, am very interested selfishly, and they're doing cool stuff, and it's a small brand that's becoming big, and they're doing interesting things. And um, I think also, too, there's you see a lot of the um, a lot of the sharp Brits and his purpose is rubbish vibe, but I think there's a, there is a place, and if companies are doing it because they want to create a change, that there is a space for it, and they do a bloody good job mm. of it. And I think just a last point on Heaps Normal, I think what works is it doesn't feel preachy. Not that there's anything wrong with, as you say, if you have a cause and you're really passionate about going and doing it, that's great. But I think Heaps Normal feels so it's clearly a good cause and, and has a good purpose, but it does feel feels like it invites you in rather than projects at you yeah. or something. There's something there that's interesting. Yeah, well, I suppose also too, like, again, one of these things when you say it out loud, it makes sense. They have to, if they didn't do that, they wouldn't have a category. So it's almost like <laughs> right. business critical. Yeah. So if they don't champion right. um, you know, healthy drinking, what they don't have a business. But I don't know. I'm just speaking for them. So they could tell me I'm a good idiot. But it makes sense that that's the category. So they've got a champion for it, yeah? Yeah, well, if Andy, if you hear this somehow and I'll be hunting you down. I'm coming for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll just randomly send it in his LinkedIn and go, hey, I mentioned you. Sorry, you may have no interest, but apologies. They, but, yeah, yeah they, 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 there's the strategy. I like it. Um, Lee, thanks yeah. so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it, mate. No, I appreciate it, James. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, if anyone's got any questions or things they've said, just hit me up. I'm happy to have a chat. Thanks for listening to the On The Moment podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And to suggest a guest or provide feedback, please visit our dedicated podcast hub at ownthemomentpod.com 